as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hi there and welcome to Speak Up. I'm Annika Flynn, paediatric speech pathologist and podcast producer. Today I am super excited because I get to chat to two hardworking school-based speech pathologists, Marina Hennis from Taylor's Lake Primary School and Felicity Codlin, who I believe is also a teacher from Penley and Essendon Grammar School, both in Melbourne. Welcome so much to you both. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for having us. So today we're chatting about the amazing effort that Marina has put into setting up a thriving community of practice for her colleagues from other schools, and this includes Felicity. So Felicity, I'm going to start with you. Can I ask you what a community of practice actually is for our listeners that might be unsure? Mm -hmm. Well, generally speaking, um, a community of practice is a group of people who share a common interest and learn how to do it better through regular social interaction. And I guess in our case, um, it's a group of local speech pathologists who mostly work in the school setting. Um, So basically we meet together once a term um, with the aim of participating in professional development. Awesome, thank you, that's a great clarification. Marina, I'm really curious to know why and when you started your community of practice. So the community of practice started in December 2017. Um, I'd actually just purchased a new assessment and wanted to go through it with some colleagues um, because as a school-based clinician, I'm the only speech pathologist around. And so I really wanted to collaborate with other clinicians and go through some professional learning. From there, um, I was able to just collaborate with local speech pathologists like Felicity mentioned and um, access uh, different types of learning from each other and share ideas and support each other. So Felicity, I know you were one of the initial members of the community of practice. Was it good timing for you that this came about? Yes, definitely. Um, So I met Marina when I was volunteering um, for Heads Together for ABI and I hadn't really met anyone that had worked um, as a speech pathologist solely in one school. It was kind of new back then. And so it was definitely beneficial um, for us that we met up. Um, And just from that one day, the first time we met up, I definitely gained a heap. (laughs) So we thought we'd make it a regular thing. Brilliant. Now, I can only imagine that it takes a fair bit of time and dedication and persistence all above and beyond your normal school role. So Marina, can you tell me how you got the group off the ground logistically? So initially we just started off with a small group. So we coordinated with the clinicians around us just to find a time that suited us to meet up, um, a space and just things that we wanted to talk about. So that could have just been a complex case or a new assessment or a PD that we had attended. 
From there, I started to develop a distribution list of other clinicians that may have been interested in uh, attending as well. So that just meant a list of clinicians that got emailed some information to say, hey, we're meeting up at this time. Please join us if you can. As it started to develop into a bigger group, I started to send out some surveys to try and get this into something that was a bit more focused on what we wanted to learn. So I asked questions like, what types of um, PD would you like to access? Do you have any guest speakers that you'd like to hear from? Or do you have something that you're doing at your school that you would like to share with us? It eventually snowballed into what it is today, which is actually a group of over 70 clinicians. Um, Most of them are practicing clinicians, some are still student clinicians that meet up on a termly basis to access that PD and to collaborate and network. Wow, that is so impressive, Marina. That's amazing. Is it a lot of work? Behind the scenes, it is just coordinating speakers, making sure it's within budget, um, as well as just distributing the information to the clinicians. We have a fortnightly newsletter that goes out as well. So when I get um, emails from other clinicians about PDs or about things that they have heard or resources that they have used, then I usually just distribute that in that fortnightly newsletter. So it does take a little bit of time, but it does get easier to do and coordinate. And, and it really helps as well that we have such a great group who's always willing to share things and put their hand up and volunteer to help out as well. And this is all in your spare time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah, you are amazing and very generous. That's awesome. So what kind of topics? Um, I know that most of the group are school-based clinicians or students, but could you give us some examples of perhaps some of the topics or speakers that you've had recently? Yeah, so we've initially started by using the clinicians that attended in our small group. So we use the clinicians that were initially involved in developing the group to um, learn from each other, I guess. So we had members speak about things like literacy development, um, the different programs that they had in their schools, language programs that they've implemented, as well as uh, their success with speech therapy. So that could be from articulation therapy to pragmatics or anything in between. We then branched out to other organisations such as um, Say Australia, Heads Together for ABI, and then from there we we accessed um, learning from our previous lecturers. So we once had Sue Block come and present to us, which was really lovely. We had Connie Buckingham, she's a psychologist, so she came and presented, Alison Clark. So our topics have sort of ranged from things that are quite specific to speech and language development, but also things like pragmatics, social skills, um, uh, stuttering, uh, play-based learning. So pretty much across the board of everything that you would see as a school-based clinician or even in early intervention. And so you did mention you had a budget. Are people paying to be involved in this or is this um, something that the presenters do um generously pro bono how does that work so some presenters have volunteered their times which are their time which we have really appreciated and others have charged um which we're always happy to cover the cost of because we understand that that is their time as well so the way we have made it work is that we will set a a cost for a ticket and usually that's between 20 to 40 dollars depending on how much the speaker is charging and all the money that Um, is acquired from those tickets goes directly towards paying for our speaker. Um, And when we have met face-to-face, it also covered catering. Because of COVID, a lot of our meetings have now been online. So the money goes straight to the speaker um, or it goes into a kitty so that we can pay for more expensive speakers or PDs that we might need to access in the future. 
Yeah, awesome. Felicity, I'm going to hand it over to you. So you have been a member of the group for quite some time. What do you see as the main benefits that have come out of it for you? I think there is a range of benefits. Um, I was looking for other people who you know, did my role in other schools. And one of the main benefits that I see is that it helps with the challenges in my job and also with personal development. Um, From somebody that works alone, I don't have the opportunity at my school to ask questions. Um, Whereas when I meet up with these guys, it's a real safe environment and it lets me ask, you know, all the questions um, without any judgment. And often the case is that somebody has worked with a child with the same needs and this is what they did and that's what they found out. So it's fantastic to listen to other speech pathologist stories and cases. Um, I think it's really it's a really good place um, to access ex- expertise. Um, so we have expertise, we have some uni students who attend the meeting um, right up to 10 years experience, which is me, the grandma of the group. And I'm definitely not the wisest. Um, everyone brings um, a heap of strengths in different areas. And I think it's really important to learn off each other Um, because this is something we don't get a chance to do when you work alone. Um, I think it also allows me um, to grow as a clinician and gives me confidence in explaining, you know, how I tackled a case and what it looked like and um, how, how, how the school approached it and also sharing it with others so that I can help them. Um, It also gives me a sense of belonging, which is something I don't have at school. Obviously, I belong to the staff, um, but there aren't any other speech pathologists. So it's kind of nice to meet up with others in your profession. And it reminds you, oh, that's why I um, wanted to become a speech pathologist. That's why I love being a speech pathologist. Um, So, yeah, definitely lots of networking involved. And it's, it's something that I look forward to um during the year awesome it is very isolating working by yourself in a school so I think yeah I could imagine I can hear what you say given I am in the same situation to have that group and that network is just so critical to your job satisfaction I think so that's awesome and I also liked what you said about never underestimating the wisdom of our colleagues um I think our colleagues have so much wisdom that sometimes we don't readily tap into so it's sounds like a great opportunity to do that too. Now, Marina, I am sure that you've had some challenges along the way with getting this set up and to a point where it's thriving. What are some of those challenges and how have you overcome them? I think some of the challenges include finding things that are topical and engaging. Um, Obviously, we want the community of practice to be a place where clinicians can come and find the answers to their questions. So whether that's from someone else's experience or from a particular PD. So finding topics that are relevant, that are up to date, that um, learning about things that are evidence-based has been a bit of a challenge, but also coordinating times with those speakers. One thing that has made it a lot easier is actually moving our community practice meetings online, which means we can access speakers from all over the world, which has been awesome. So It means we've been able to record them so people can access them later. Um, It means we've been able to tap into clinicians' um, brains that we haven't really been able to access face-to-face because of time zones or purely being in a different country. 
So now that our sessions have moved online, it has meant that a lot of other clinicians have been able to attend the meetings or at least listen to the complex case discussion or the PDs that we have had. And I guess given given we're all different clinicians, we work in different settings and have different schedules, that has been one of the issues is just accessibility and being able to schedule a whole day and attend for the whole day. So the online platform has really helped with that. It's nice to know there is a pro from COVID out of all of this, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And look, and initially I wasn't sure how it was going to work. I thought with us moving to things online, it's going to be a long time sitting in front of our computer, trying to meet, um, or people might not want to do it because everyone was doing telehealth. So to add an extra meeting that they had to attend or could attend online, I just thought it wouldn't go as planned, but it's actually been really good. And it's meant that a lot of our funds from the tickets could also go towards accessing speakers that perhaps in the past we couldn't afford to pay. So that has been helpful as well. Awesome. So to finish up, I'm just wondering, I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast that are hopefully getting inspired to set something like this up themselves. What sort of practical suggestions would you both give them to get this sort of off the ground? I would probably start with starting within your immediate network. So have a look at the clinicians that are around you, chat to your peers from your cohort at university or other clinicians that you work with and start a small group that meets on a regular basis. There's so much learning that you can access online for free um, or pay a small amount to access. And then as you grow within your group, start reaching out to other speakers. So that could be your past lecturers, that could be other clinicians that you interact with on um, different online platforms, and then just start branching out from there. I've also found, yeah, doing it online has been a lot easier as well. So if that's an option, you could start with hosting online meetings that everyone can attend and then um, branching out to -to face-to-face meetings if your situation allows. Our community of practice is a collaborative effort. So though there is lots that goes on behind the scenes and logistically, our community of practice wouldn't be the community that it is without our members. Yeah, I I agree with Marina. Definitely start with your local network or your local peers or friends and, um, yeah, get them to share some of the experience they've they've had as a speech pathologist Um, because I know personally I work a lot in social skills, so I know a lot about social skills, whereas others in the group, um, for example, Marina helps with implementing the Colourful Semantics program, so she is an expert in that area. So it's definitely important to start there and then, as Marina said, branch out to other experts. Now, Marina, if any of our listeners are keen to touch base to get some further information, is there somewhere they can go to contact you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm happy to be contacted via email and Annika, perhaps we can put the email in the um, notes as well, but the email is marina.hennes, that's spelled H-E-N-N-E-S, at education.vic.gov.au. Happy to answer any questions. Wonderful. Thank you so, so very much uh, to you both. I really appreciate your time, especially the precious time taken away from your students today. So thank you for joining me. I'm really inspired. I love hearing the stories of young speeches um, going above and beyond. Uh, um, It just really inspires me. So thank you for sharing all your ideas. And thank you everyone for listening. And we will be back in your ears next Wednesday. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast 
and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.